All right, if you got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 13, where we look at verses 44 through 46. You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been working through our parables, and uh, we've got to the fourth one here now, and we have learned from these parables. Jesus had taught that it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and so tonight, we're going to look at two of them together because they're very common in the theme um, and the principle that Jesus taught in them. And uh, a lot of these have a lot of uh, different things we can look at, but mainly um, a parable has one main thrust, one main meaning. And uh, in both of these uh, parables, true treasure is found in Christ and his kingdom. True treasure is found in Christ and in his kingdom. Uh, any Storage War fans in here, by the way? Yup. <laughs> any yup? Any yupters in here? Uh, there's a there's a show called Storage Wars on A and E. Probably never seen it. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, but you got <laughs> Dave Hester, who's the yupper, and uh, me and Tanner's been on a kick lately to watch through the seasons. And uh, I much we like the earlier ones much better than the later ones because lately, the especially this past season, they've been slipping in a little you know, uh, a, a little weird stuff in there, trying to push an agenda that wasn't pushed uh, earlier in the season and so in, in the seasons. But basically, they buy these storage lockers and they buy them for as cheap as they can get them and all of them in the hopes of finding some treasure in them. And I've watched several of them. One of them, I watched where a guy made over $300,000 on a locker that he paid $1,500 for. I've seen others where they've made $100,000 and $50,000. I've seen some where it's cost them money to dump the treasure. But the, you get the picture. They buy these storage lockers wanting a treasure or trying to hit the jackpot. Well, when you see these two parables here, Jesus is talking about treasure. He's talking about things that are valuable, and Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, the first time we heard that mentioned was when Jesus was teaching in the Gospels, and he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and he tells them to repent and believe. And so from that point all the way till now, uh, it's been the kingdom of heaven, and it'll always be all the way until the coming of Jesus Christ. That will come consummate the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about or the kingdom of Christ um, here as we are a part of this earth and a part of what we call the church age. And so those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and we start by looking at these parables. I want to look at them, and then I want to apply them. So it's very simple. We're going to identify them, talk about them a little bit, and then we're going to go back and look at the principles that we can gather from both of these principles. So Matthew chapter 13, let's read verse 44. That's the first parable. Um, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So as we uh, try to understand these parables, we must put them into context. Most of you probably don't have treasure buried in a field somewhere, all right? Unless you're one of them crazy conspiracy theories, you know? Uh, theorists. But most of us, it's not common to. We have banks, right? Ordinary people go to banks, right? And they put it in the bank or they put it in some sort of investment. But in these times, they would put it, it was not uncommon for them to make their deposits in dirt. 
to put them in the ground, to hide them, and to um, be able to come back and, and get them again. And, and we see this also in another story in Matthew chapter 25, where the three servants was entrusted in money. And you remember the one servant went out and dug a hole and put his treasure in that hole. Same, same meaning, that he took it and he hid it in this dirt. So it wasn't uncommon. But the word here I really want to zero on is, is treasure. And the Greek word is where we get our word thesaurus from. In the Greek, it's thesaurus, which refers uh, to a treasury of, of words. Uh, literally, in this context, it refers to a treasure chest or a great storehouse where not just a little treasure is kept, but a massive treasure, like a lifetime of accumulation of these valuable treasures. It's interesting because the same word in Hebrews 11.26, when it says that Moses chose to serve God rather than the treasures of this world, it's the same word. The treasures there means a vast array of many many things. So it's a great treasure, not just a small treasure, but a huge treasure. And uh, whether what happens or uh, what happened in the story to the person who had this treasure... Sometimes people died without being able to get the treasure. Some people misplaced it. Some people was forced from their land by uh, war or they had lost the, the rights to the property. But for whatever reason, uh, there was always buried treasure that was unclaimed. And so maybe in our society, if we feel like we find something, we have an obligation to give it back. Well, here, when you found a treasure, it was perfectly normal to keep it. Uh, it really was finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You ever heard that story, right? So literally it was. Like this was something that was very common. Uh, they would do it with money. They would do it with, uh, tre- they would do it with food, with, with fruit, with farmland. Uh, and so this story tells of a man that went out to a field and he inadvertently came across this cache of treasure, this, this huge amount of treasure, And he went so excitingly and sold all that he had and purchased that field. And he he went back to that that field. And this was perfectly normal for the Jewish uh, uh, law at that time. And, And he found something so valuable. A treasure that was undescribable. That he was willing to give everything he had to go back and, and, and gain that treasure. And so let's look at the second parable of the priceless pearl. It's the next two verses, verses 45 and 46 in Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So now we have this merchant who would buy pearls at a wholesale and sell them to retailers. That was his, that's what he would do. And the word here is emporos, or where we get our word emporium. Uh, And so pearls were one of the most valuable gems in that day. They were very valuable, uh, much like a diamond today or gold today. And the reason why they were so valuable is because pearls uh, was very risky to get. Um, They were usually found in an average depth of water that was 40 feet deep. So you can imagine without any modern technology to be able to go down 40 feet, search for these oysters, and then find a pearl that was of any value. And in in doing that, uh, 
they said that usually, on average, only one oyster in a thousand oysters contains a pearl. And in of that, only three or four oysters in a haul of three tons would produce a pearl of great value. So think about it. That's a, that, that's not, the odds are not really, really well um, for that. Kind of like, you know, Aaron's mom's pound cake lasted in my house more than a, a night, right? Like... <laughs> The odds of that not making it through the night is very, very slim. And so the odds of him finding this pearl was, was so, so slim, but it was valuable. So this, he went on a mission to find the biggest, the brightest, the greatest pearl, and he finally finds it. And the phrase here of great value literally means priceless, it means that there could not be a price put upon it. And, and the man is so eager he doesn't even care what it costs, that he's willing to do whatever and liquidates all that he has so he can possess this pearl and, and he give up everything he had to possess this one thing that he was, uh, he was after. And so as we look to these parables, we understand, let's look at some principles that we can pull from this. Um, I think first, what we just ended with, knowing Jesus Christ is priceless. I think about that. I think a lot of times for us as Christians, we forget that. We live in a world of people who do not know Jesus Christ. And they go through troubles, and they go through trials, and they go through heartaches, and they go through pain, and they go through all those things without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about that. For us as Christians, though, we know Jesus Christ. And, and to know Jesus Christ, it is priceless. It is greater than anything we could ever find on the face of the earth. Literally, the word thesaurus, like I said, this vast treasure is more, uh, knowing Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything and everything you could ever gain in this world. Jesus proved that when he said that what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Think about that. Like, what does it profit for all the things of the world? And to know Jesus Christ is greater than anything this world could ever uh, offer us. And it's of great value. And, and when we think about this, nothing in this world compares to the value of knowing Jesus Christ. It is greater than gold. It is greater than pearls. It is greater than the treasure itself. And to know Jesus Christ, it, it, it just pales in comparison to knowing anything or having any, or possessing anything else on the face of this earth. And, and when you think about it for a moment, what is so great about knowing Jesus Christ? Why is it priceless? Well, first, our salvation, right? That, that, that we have forgiveness of sins. I said this Sunday. We all have a past. We all have sin in our life that we've committed sin. But praise God, we don't have to stay in our sin. When Christ comes in our life, he forgives our sins. And for you who are married, you know there's nothing like when two people come together and they get in an argument and then there is restoration, right? There is forgiveness and restoration. Nobody likes to fight, but everybody likes to make up, right? And so as you make up, you know when you have forgiveness and you're restored back into fellowship with your, with your spouse, and it's, there's no greater feeling than that. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. When you have forgiveness of sin and you know that you have this forgiveness and you're back into fellowship with God, nothing is greater than that. When you know your sins have been forgiven as far as from the east is to the west, don't you like how accurate the Bible is, by the way? He didn't say north and south, because if you go far enough north, what happens? You eventually start going south. 
You go east, you always go east. They never meet. And so he says, as far as the east is from the west. And it never meets, as far as that is. And he puts them in the sea of uh, of forgiveness. And and I like what one country preacher says. He puts a no fishing sign there, right? Like he pushes them in that sea and that body of water. No fishing, right? Uh, He doesn't rub our sins in. He rubs them out with the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you think about it, how many times you failed God? How many times you've missed the mark? How many times you need forgiveness? And it's always there in Jesus Christ, never to be remembered no more when we confess and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, when that takes the guilt away in your life, that takes the pain away in your heart, and that restores your relationship with God, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. And, And not only that... We've been talking about this a lot lately, the indwelling presence of Christ in your life. That he not only forgives us, but then he comes to live inside of us. You know, as Christians, when we look to the Old Testament, we think about how cool the temple was. And we think about, oh man, if I could have seen the temple or the tabernacle when the presence of God would come down. And and Moses, remember his face would shine for days. And people like, whoa, Moses, like he went into the tannin booth or something too long. Because he was like, he was glowing, you know. And we're like, man, that's so cool. But you know what's even better than that? Is that the Bible says that the presence of God or the indwelling spirit of God doesn't dwell in houses made by hands anymore. He dwells in our hearts. That we literally have the indwelling spirit in our life. And he never leaves us and he never forsakes. And like I said, when we need help in our marriage, Jesus is right there. When we need help with our kids, Jesus is right there. When we need help with our health, Jesus is right there. When we need help with this world, and I don't know about you, but the the longer I live, the more I realize I need help. Like the more we need help with things. And for me, personally, you realize that Uh, most of the things you have uh, usually start to fall apart or break down, right? And and as you go through that process, it has a way of humbling you. But when you have Christ right there with you and he's walking with you and he's indwelling your spirit, listen, there's nothing in this world that can give you peace at night to lay down your head and know that Christ is with you. You know he's with you, 100%. And I could tell you a thousand reasons why a relationship with Christ is priceless, but many of you even have already discovered that. You have already know that. And listen, uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, if he had a thousand lives, he'd live every one for Jesus Christ. And it's true. Over and over and over again, we realize that knowing Jesus Christ is priceless. That there is nothing greater in this world you will ever experience other than, uh, like coming to know Jesus Christ. And, and not only that, but when we see this indwelling present here, uh, what we realize when we look to the world, just as these parables, we realize that spiritual truth is often hidden from the world. Like, like these people had to seek it out. They had to go after it. And Jesus even told when he started the parables, he told his disciples, this is not for the world. This is for you because you're going to seek this truth out and you're going to go after it. And so when we look to the bulk of the world and unbelievers and we think, how do they not get it? Well, they don't get it because they're blind. Because they're not pursuing it. They're not seeking it out. It's hidden from them to where they can't see it. And they don't have the spiritual eyes to see this. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually dead. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image 
of God. You think about it. It's sad, but it's true. The devil and the world system keeps people from coming to know Jesus Christ by putting out the little trinkets like I call them out there. They put the little trinkets out there. The devil puts the little trinkets out there. And and I was just thinking about even uh, not so much just bad things, but even good things. Uh, You know, some people get so busy in life that life passes them by before they even realize they're about to step into eternity. You realize that? Some people get 50, 60, 70 years old before they realize, you know what, I only have a couple more years left on earth. And, and, and you know, I always love what preachers say, and this is so true even in my own life, going to funerals or talking to people who's lost loved ones or someone who's fixing to die. There's no one that ever tells me, I wish I would have worked a little more. I wish I would have done this a little more. That No, it's always about God. It's always about family. It's always about the things that matter. And the devil puts these little trinkets out and gets people too, too busy. He puts the little trinket of a religion out there. Maybe go to church to feel better. Maybe join a church to feel better. Maybe do some good deeds. Maybe try a social, uh, a social project and you might make yourself feel good for doing good things. But good things don't make you saved. Good things don't give you Jesus Christ. And the same with good works and all the rest of them. Uh, like I said, through faith evangelism training, it was true. Oh, geez. You know, it's so hard now, the older I get, because I'll say like 10 years ago, and then I realize it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago. Like for me to say 25 years ago, I'm still thinking like I'm in diapers. You know what I mean? Like 25 years ago, I was still a grown man. <laughs> like I was still a grown man at that point in time. But, but 15, 20 years ago, maybe, Faith Evangelism, they would say when you ask people a question, because they categorized uh, uh, answers based upon, you know, what, how they answered a question, um, why would God let you into heaven? That was the question they taught you to ask. And when they would ask it, they said in their research, 80% of the people would say, because I'm a good person and I do good works. 80% of the people. And I've heard this even in my own witnessing. I have witnessed several people and several people who go to church, several people who are certain members of denominations, and they would say, well, pastor, you know, when I get to heaven, uh, you know, there's going to be a big scale there. And, and, and I hope the good outweighs the bad. And if the good tilts up, then I'm in. If the good bad tilts up, then I'm out. I'm thinking, I don't want those scales for me. <laughs> Matter of fact, when I get to heaven, I don't want any scales for me, right? Hang <laughs> on, be no scales for me. <laughs> I love what <laughs> I was listening to this guy. It was uh, Mark Lowry. And he said, do you think Baptist preachers really took God as a challenge when he said that when he blows the trumpet, he's going to call him up in the air? Because he said, you know, he's really given God a challenge by lifting them up in the air. <laughs> it's true. Like, you know, you, you think about that sometimes. And you think about how people go through this process. They, they think they're good people. They think they're going to make it because it does. But, but life's but a vapor. It goes. And it happens so fast. And the devil just puts those little trinkets out there. He, he puts those things out there. And that's why when we talk about the gospel, we talk about importance of being immediate with the gospel. You know, we talk about being uh, proactive with the gospel. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, I tell you, now is the time of salvation. I mean, now is the time of God, God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I think one of the biggest issues that, or or, or lies that the devil tells people is you have more time. 
You got more time. Do that when you're older. Do that when your kids are gone. Do that when, you're, you know, when, when your grandkids are around. Do that later on. And we wait and we wait and we wait. And yet when we wait too long and the things of the world happens and we settle for the trinkets of the, of the world and we don't come around and know Jesus Christ. But the Bible says be sure that you know. Because the greatest thing you'll ever do is, uh, is, is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's priceless. That's something that is better than anything you can gain in this whole world. So, second thing is, I find very interesting, is that Jesus is the only way to God, but there are many ways to Jesus. So, think about this. And when I was younger, um, I always was kind of a little bit embarrassed in my testimony, you know, because you go to these places and you hear these miraculous testimonies, you know, like I, I, you know, I killed 15 people and I robbed this store and, you know, I was, you know, part of this group and part of that group. And then, then I got saved and now I'm a preacher. I'm like, wow, I, I stole a few cookies. I don't know what I, I was 11 years, <laughs> 10 years old when I got saved, nine years old, you know, like, wow, that, that's not much of a testimony, you know, and and so as you go through this process, you begin to think about how you come to know Christ and all those things. But guess what? It, it's a different way to Christ for a lot of different people. If you look here, you know, the pearl uh, was found by this guy who was a merchant. This, this field was found by the, I mean, this treasure in the field was found by a guy um, that was stumbling, that was going, going to it and just inadvertently went across it, you know, and all of a sudden here's this treasure in the field. And, and you know, when we think about it, uh, some people seem to just stumble upon Christ, which we know that's not true because none of us seek after God. You know, God is seeking after us. God created the field and God created the, the oyster. And so he has salvation ready for us. And when we, when we come to the point of repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we know God was there. But there's many ways to get there. That's why it's so important to never give up praying for people. You know, never give up for praying for young people. I, I pray for this church that every single young person comes to know Jesus Christ at an early age. I mean, what a testimony for people to live their whole life for the Lord Jesus Christ and say, here's my life for the Lord. You know, what a great testimony. And then we pray for other people that come that may be, may be out in the world that's had a rough life and they need forgiveness of God and they, know, they appreciate it and they know what it means and they come to Christ even after a, a bad time in life or something hap tragic happens in their life. I mean, there are many ways to Christ. And for us to, to never forget to pray for those. Some people pray for people for years and years to get saved. Dr. Lindsay from First Baptist Jacksonville had a daughter that said she was not a Christian and uh, renounced the faith in, in Christ and said she, said she just believed because she was the pastor's daughter and she had to. And so later on in life, he witnessed to her and he said he went over her house several times and tried to witness to her and tried to come to know Christ. And you know anything about Dr. Lindsay? He was a soul winner. I mean... Every Sunday when he would preach, 25 to 30 people would get saved. I mean, there was, there was hundreds of people walking the aisle, when he'd, and he would say, God, why is it that when I share the gospel with my daughter, it's rejected? She has a hard heart. And he said, for one year, for five years, for 10 years, 11 years, 
11 years. He said he got to the point where he just gave up. And he said, you know what, God, I don't understand it. I just give up. And he said, but his wife never gave up. She always prayed and she always, <laughs> Miss Shirley, she always went after him. She said, he said one day he was in his garage. He got a phone call. He went to answer that phone call and he answered. And he said, this is, this is your daughter. And I want to let you know, God convicted my heart this morning. I got on my knees and I accepted Jesus Christ. And he said, wow. You know, uh, totally amazing, had nothing to do with him witnessing to him, had nothing to do with him doing it, but God did it in his timing, and she came to Christ differently than his other kids and differently than he did. And so we need to always pray for those around us, pray that God comes to know them. I I love the story of Charles Spurgeon. You know, Charles Spurgeon was a great evangelist, and um, you know, he attended church uh, mostly just because of an obligation, and he wanted to be religious. And so he went, uh, went to go to his church uh, when he was 15 years old on New Year's Day. And uh, they said it was such a blizzard that he, the church that he tried to go to, he was not able to go to. So the only church he can get to was an older Methodist church. And so he went into this Methodist church, and he said probably only 15 people there. And he said after being there 10 minutes late for the service start, and a man stood up and he said, Hey, our pastor can't get here to preach because he can't make it, so I'm going to have to preach a sermon. And he said, literally, the guy had one line uh, in his sermon, and literally he said uh, over and over, he said at least uh, 10 times, um, he kept repeating it, and he said, uh, when when I could go, uh, he, he told him, look to Jesus, look, look to Jesus, and be saved. And he said he said it at least 10 times in a row. And he said, finally, the guy looked at him and pointed at him. He says, you young man. And he said he, his heart almost dropped. And he looked back and he said, the guy told him, he said, you look miserable. You look miserable in life and you'll be miserable in death. And you need to obey. Look to Jesus and be saved. And he said, immediately, he gave his life to Jesus Christ at that moment. Immediately. And you know Charles Spurgeon's story. He went on to literally lead thousands of people to Christ and the darkness rolled away. And yet he said if it wasn't for him coming into contact to a church he shouldn't even have been to, to a guy preaching that he shouldn't even been preaching, and he got saved. And that's the miraculous part of the story. And for us as we go through Christ and we see people... Maybe people's been in church a long time. Maybe never, people's never even stepped foot in church. Maybe people's in a good place. Maybe people's in a bad place. However it is, when you come to Jesus Christ, the way to Christ, there are many ways, but Christ is the only way to God. And when we come to it, we ought to appreciate our testimony. We ought to pray for other people to be saved, no matter how good they are, never how bad they are. One of the things that always bothered me growing up is when somebody called somebody a lost cause. And they'd say, you know that person over there, they're a lost cause. You know, with God, there are no lost causes. There are no lost causes with God because he can change anyone's heart at any moment. And I even think of the thief on the cross. To the last second, to his dying breath, he was saved and he went with Jesus Christ. So there's no lost causes for us. And we need to preach Christ and we need to share Christ. And we need, we need to, to let Christ work in us as we see that. So not only that, but as well... As he says here, uh, not only there are many ways to Christ, but knowing Christ will bring joy. Listen, it's not a punishment to become a Christian. You know, I think for us as, as believers in Jesus Christ, sometimes like we, we act like we're Christians or we say we're Christians, but it's almost like a punishment, you know, like, yes, I'm a Christian and all the joy is gone out of my life. 
And a lot of times when we give our testimony, we talk about that way, right? Man, I was living it up, having the time of my life, and then I got saved. <laughs> like, well, what happened after you got saved? Like, there's a whole lot that happened to me after I got saved than what happened to me before I got saved. And so we ought to focus on those things. And this person here, he said he found joy. Like, in his joy, he gave up all that he has. And you know what? I found out with a true relationship when you really love someone, when you give something up or you sacrifice someone, it's not an obligation. It's out of joy. It's out of joy. And, and you know, a lot of times in marriage, when somebody says, well, you don't have to do that. No, I get to do that. Listen, when you love your spouse, you, you get to do those things for them. When you love God, I don't have to preach. I get to preach, right? Like, you don't have to serve God. You get to serve God. You don't have to have those things in your life. You get to do those things. And there should be joy that comes from that. John 15, 11 says, I have told you this, that you may have joy in you and that your joy may be full or your joy may be complete. And, you know, there's, we should always look to the joy of our salvation. And, and, you know, and David talked about when he had his sin with Bathsheba. And one of the requests he made from God was, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The joy of my salvation. And for us as Christians, I think we should really remember that, that never get over being saved. I really say that all the time, but we have to practice that. We have to preach it. And it's much like I said with any relationship, when you take people for granted and you become ungrateful, all of a sudden the joy seems to, to leak out of your relationship. And for us with God, when we, when we become ungrateful, when we become unthankful to God for the things that he does do for us and the things that he has done for us, and we become grumbling and complaining, the joy leaks out. And sometimes we, we don't have joy in our life, but when, it, when we go back to the beginning of it all, it's just the joy of knowing that Christ saved us. The joy of our salvation and knowing Jesus should always lead to joy. And if it doesn't, maybe you need to check what you believe. You know, maybe you think you're one of the frozen chosen. You know what I mean? You ever heard of them? Maybe you think that... Uh, you know, uh, you're so legalistic that you have to keep rules and regulations and God's keeping a list up there and he's checking it twice. And if you don't do what he says, you're not his child or you're not one of his children. He's going to kick you out of a relationship with him or maybe you, you know, all these things. Listen, when you come to know Jesus Christ, there should be an abundance of joy in your life. There should be deep seated that even though things may not be everything great and everything may be going well, but in your heart, deep down, you should have a joy that comes from knowing Christ. And you should have a joy from serving Him. And the joy of the salvation in our life. And uh, also, I can't help but the note here, when you think about it, this, uh, this scripture talks about salvation is free. It was something that they didn't pay for the... I mean, they didn't, they didn't make the pearl, and they didn't make the treasure. But it cost... The cost was to give up everything to gain it. They were willing... To give up what they had to gain which they could not have. Uh, a missionary that went, uh, that I remember from uh, college, and it was a quote, says, uh, He is no fool to give up what he can't keep to gain that which he cannot lose. 
And when you think about that, in, in our life, when we have these things that we know we can't keep in the world, but yet we willingly give them up to get something we know we can't lose, salvation is costly. And when we sacrifice that, when we're willing to give up everything that we have and repent of our sin and follow after Jesus Christ, it is something that it takes to, for us to give it, for us to, to take. It's, it's costly. Uh, D.A. Carson says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And those who know that where the treasure lies, joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. And a lot of times we in Western Christianity have separated the word Jesus from the word Lord, right? But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible calls him the Lord Jesus or Jesus as the Lord. We can't have Jesus as the Savior and not Jesus as the Lord. He is both. He's our Lord and Savior. And we got to submit our life to him. We got to pour our life into him. And we have to give all that we have to gain all that he has. And when you do that, it's a no-brainer. I was reading of an article, and they give these little preacher stories. But in New Hampshire, there was this guy that went in to buy a pack of cigarettes from a convenience store. And uh, when he uh, got home, he realized that on his credit card, they had charged $23 million to his debit card. Think about that. One pack of cigarettes for $23 million. And according to the story, this guy named Josh, I can't pronounce his last name, but after he saw this, this number, he was stunned. He couldn't believe it. And so uh, here... here was a smoker who was impoverished that spent two hours on the phone with Bank of America how did you know it was Bank of America, right? Okay, well, those who bank with Bank of America, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so they decided that uh, what they would do was that they would remove the $15 overdraft fee. And I thought to myself, it costs $15 to get $23 million worth of product somewhere? <laughs> Man, where is that at? I want to sign up for that. Uh, but anyhow, if you think about it, the, the cost that he had purchased that uh, of that one little pack of cigarettes, the cost that it was was so outrageous that it made no sense. But when you come to Jesus Christ, sacrificing your life means nothing compared to what you gain. Sacrificing your life for the discipleship of Jesus Christ and what he has for us, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh, one of my favorite uh, scriptures in the Old Testament about salvation is Isaiah 55.1. It says, come all you are who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk without honey and without cost. And if you think about it, he's saying for us to come. That, that you have nothing to bring to the table, but when you sacrifice what you have, whatever you have, the little that you have, you have this great amount of the kingdom of God that comes and the price of commitment to be discipled by Jesus Christ is greater than anything else you get in this world. Anything. And for us to be disciples in that commitment that we have um, with them. And so true treasure is found in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And, and, and one pastor, when he was applying this in the study, he asked two questions. He said, number one, what do you need to give up for the kingdom of God? And number two, what do you stand to gain by doing so? And when you really think about it, when we give up what we have to get what God has for us, it's a no-brainer. It really is. And the salvation that we have in those things and the salvation we have in him is really something of great value. And, and, you know, I know for us, you know, living in the world that we live in, it's so easy to be tricked, you know, so easy to fall for the trinkets. And, uh, you know, we're like the kid that goes to the fair. 
You know, those little toys up there look so glamorous. But yet, the cost that we have to have of those things, that, and when, once we get them, they're worthless. They're worthless. And so many people, as we see in this world, give up their life for the things of the world when they could be pursuing God and gaining things which they can never lose. And I think for me as a Christian and for you as a Christian, you know, the challenge for us is to really look at what are we pursuing in life? Now, are we really uh, pursuing the eternal things? Now, are we pursuing the things that's going to be in eternity? You know, there's only uh, three things in eternity that's going to live forever. God, obviously God and all who he is in his trinity. God's word, right? He says, my word will abide forever and in the souls of people. If you think about it in eternity, they're going to live for eternity, forever and ever. And if we're investing in God, that's a good thing to invest in with our relationship with God. If we're investing in God's word, that's a great thing to invest in. And if we're investing in the souls of people, that's a great thing to invest in. That's something that we will never uh, be able to lose. It's a, it's a treasure that we can have. And when we give up all that we have to gain which God has given us, it is, it is a no-brainer. And I think for him to tell these disciples here, he was just telling them, listen, I know what you see and I know what you hear. And I know the way the kingdom was before, but if you can give up this world and you can give up the things of this world, you can gain the kingdom of heaven and you can have the righteousness of Christ in your life for eternity. And when you think about it, it is really no comparison between the two. And, uh, you know, these disciples, they really lived this out. Um, there's a great book by John MacArthur called 12 Ordinary Men. I don't know if you guys ever read that book. But it talks about the disciples of Christ, but it also talks about how, how, how they gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every one of them was willing to put their life on the line and the price that they paid. It, and you look to it and you see that every one of them who knew and walked with Christ and saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was a no-brainer for them. Being, even being martyred to them meant nothing compared to knowing the truth about Jesus Christ. And for us as Christians, that's where we got to look at our hearts. You know, what are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice at all? And then also to pray for those who need to come to know Christ um, because we, we see the story. Only this treasure is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. And, uh, you know, the more we live in this world, the more that I realize that that's one of the most important messages we can teach and preach. Um, because, you know, the world's morphed all these belief systems together. And, uh, you know, the more you meet people, you hear them talk, and they're like, well, my mom was this, and my dad was that, and, you know, I don't really know what I believe. And then you see the, the system of the world putting things in there and all this stuff. And yet, for us as Christians, we need to be clear. We need to be crystal clear about the gospel. We need to be clear about the gospel of Christ and the kingdom of heaven, because that's what's really going to matter.